All right, everybody, welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse and a very special one indeed that I'll be talking to Santos, a guy that a lot of you already know for decades. He's been bringing the miraculous magic of syncretic astrotheology to the world and one of the earliest teachers on this subject to ever break it to the Internet in a way that was digestible. Uh, he's got a great channel on YouTube that's still kicking, despite how many other old school YouTubers have been axed. Uh, Mr. Astrotheology is where you can find him there. And also, he's got a website, universaltruthschool.com. And he's probably got other presences on the internet he might want to inform us about. But we'll go ahead and get rolling. Uh, my gratitude to you, Santos, for being here with us, myself and the audience. I've, a lot of us are heavily influenced by your work, and it's helped us see the clockwork of the creator in this realm and get out of all the various traps, be they religious or atheistic. So welcome here, my man, and thank you so much. Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we got put in touch by Matt Landman. He's a, a very active activist who's helped me get introduced to many people. But today, let's just start off by talking about the the uh, matter at hand, astrotheology introduced this. Um, we'll go probably to many other subjects because I know that you're far and beyond just uh, the work that you were doing 10 years ago that so many of us are familiar with, but help us lay out that concept and then I've got some specific questions about it. Uh, the concept of syncretism? Yeah, syncretism and astrotheology, what we see whenever we deeply study more than one system, not just the one we were raised on. Okay, so basically what we're dealing with is the science of uh, divinity, the science of nature, and nature has two, two natures. <laughs> one's transcendental and one is mundane. So when you learn one, you learn the other. When you see the father, you see, when you see the son, you see the father. Uh, when you see the electrical world, you see the magnetic world. When you understand the electrical world, you understand the magnetic world. One is physical, one is spiritual. So understanding nature is understanding electromagnetics and waves. And the best way to do that is astrology. And that's what I teach in syncretism. How to understand the science of how stars work. Stars are atoms. Uh, atoms are just minuscule stars. Everything is a star. We come to this earth, we are called youngsters. We have sisters, spinsters. Misters, masters, monsters, mobsters, fraudsters, gangsters, rock stars, superstars, movie stars, imposters, disasters, pastors, ministers, ancestors, and we all have those. So if that's what we are, we are all of those things, then um, everything is stars. And so it's about astrology which is the science of stars and how taurus fields work because that's what a taurus is taurus is an anagram for star and everything is taurus fields everything is turning turning the magnetic ether is turning and so that makes torsion fields and that's and that's how everything works so the best way to um uh, to understand electromagnetics is astrology. Really, it's a blueprint. Uh, there's a better word for it. I had a really good word for that. I was going to, but um, yeah, it's like a schematic. Your chart is a, 
blueprint of, of your essential nature. Yeah, that totally jives with what I've experienced by delving into these things. And the uh, interesting thing about the movements of these luminaries is the fact that the type of sine wave pattern exists at the base of all of this. And in, we're actually in the, the sign of Taurus right now in the tropical astrology. So learning about Taurus is, I think, hopefully that's uh, information that people have already been turned on to. But it, it really is almost as simple as that, that fractally speaking, it's just nested Tauruses within larger and smaller Tauruses uh, in a way, something like that. And it's all energy and there's an interconnectedness to it. That's why I like to start off the show by saying welcome to the one within all or the all within the one. Uh, we have, <laughs> it is just that, that one consciousness that we all express in, in a sense. And I, yeah, it I'm is. glad you brought up uh, pastor too, because that was one of my favorite clues that the church is all about the stars. It is. Ministers should be talking about the moon and the stars. Uh, pastors should be talking about the astors and the astrology. So um, they've, they've lost their way. They've simply um, been infiltrated by de demonic entities. Our true astrological perennial science has been, um, has been oppressed and basically just literal... Uh, Literal childish limiting teachings are all that the pastors are able to produce because they're, they're imbeciles themselves. You know, the, the, the ministers like the Pope, these, these guys are they're incontinent, incompetent imbeciles. They're just possessed by demons, which makes them look intelligent and gives them power and powerful positions. But once you remove the demons, these, these men are, are good for... They can't even pick their nose. You know? <laughs> um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't know how to. They. They just. They don't know anything. They're imbeciles, and they get. They stand on their soapboxes, you know, teaching about Jesus and how to be saved. They're clueless. They've got no idea. No idea. They. They think that the the scriptures are literal. So how far can you get when you take everything literal? You know. Um, it's, it's like waiting for Santa Claus to, um, with your camera at midnight for him to come down the chimney because, because you believe in Santa Claus and, and he's literally going to come down the chimney. Well, well that's never going to happen because it's not literal. It's true. It's a true story. In other words, it contains truths, but they're not, they're not literal. They're literary. They have deeper meaning. Yeah, so truth can only describe reality, right? So uh, the truths that are contained within are allegories or metaphors that describe nature or reality. And, you know, actually with the Santa Claus thing, I was pretty onto that as a kid. I left a tape recorder out as a five-year-old and said, and, and a, a poorly scrawled note that said, leave a recording here and prove that you're Santa Claus. And when I played the recording back the next morning and it was clearly my dad, I was like, okay, something's not right. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of how things are, are built. Actually, that initial mythology of the Santa Claus is something that connects very deeply to the later phenomenon of people subjugating their own inner light to a collective, which is another way of describing 
that these are demons that possess the, the churchmen and the cler clergymen in that they have no knowledge outside of what their collective has bestowed upon them and told them is permits permissive to uh permittable to say right they're not led by their own uh divine spark they're not in the synchronicity and in the flow or the Tao of the world and being taught by nature directly and seeing that within and without connection. Uh, they're just taking a dogma, which everybody, what's dogma backwards? <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, so, you know, to get into this more deeply, one of the biggest hexes that is being per uh, perpetrated by these crown corporations and Vatican's is the name, the hex of the name. Uh, the, I, one of the things that I remember learning from you a long time ago, and it then took years for me to fully grasp the significance of it was the name for name in Latin, which is nomen. And that's like essentially describing that there's no man in this name. <laughs> it's a, it's a fiction or it's a, it's a conceptual hex, right? Yes. Yep. It's a negation. A name is a negation. Um, Especially if you uh, subscribe to the dual, the dualistic, polarized world duality, um, yeah. But if in unity consciousness, names have three genders, so depends which which way you want to have a look at it. But uh, certainly, the system in legalese uses the word name as a negation for sure. Yeah, I'm actually curious more about what you mean by three genders for um, names, as you just described. That's not something I've heard about. Yeah, well, every every word has three genders. So, for instance, Adam, the first word, is madam, when you um, put the M in the front. Um, and atom means um, unity and indivisible, so that cannot have a sex. So you can see clearly that a name for a man comes out of atom, and a name for a woman, madam, adam, atom. And all words are like this. Uh, every single word has three genders. So um, it's, it's about understanding the atomic nature of language. L language is atomic. That's why we have atomology or etymology, same word. It's, it's learning about atomic words. Um, when you talk, you create torsion fields, torus fields, talking. And that rotating field is what you're listening to. And that all comes from atoms and the letter t is the very um decisive letter which is explosive in its creation t, t, it's very electrical so <clears throat> it's why it's so important and why the egyptians said all is atom because it is all is made of atoms torus field i love that that's really interesting and it also makes me think about how at least in the English speaking world, through the political correctness agenda and all that, there's a neutering of language. There's less and less 
at least implication of gender in language in romance languages for example there was at least like an l and a la if you catch my drift of masculine and a feminine uh gender for words generally which has a lot more to do with the concept of being sort of active or passive than actual men and women but these type of concepts get conflated by the sorcery to make us then feel like it's uh, a war of the sexes that one our side needs to get a leg up on so do you have any thoughts about that like the the neutering of language in a sense the the non-gendering and also the uh the creation of you know 300 genders and in, in uh new gender pronouns and labels and how wacky that all is oh of course that's that's just an agenda that's um that's always but agendas like that have always been around to confuse humanity and to uh steal their their true identity and godship from them by by just creating confusion division syncretism is gonna absolutely smash and destroy that system that's just that system's only got a few more months to go and syncretism will take over the world and everyone everyone will speak atomology the atomic language um that's just around the corner it's uh, babylon babylon's system is is falling it's armageddon the the day of deceiving humanity and profiting from ignorance of stupid people uh by by keeping them stupid uh is well and truly gone the people trafficking days are over people have woken up we don't yeah. want to be trafficked more we want to be unlimited and unconditioned undefined like the the uh transcendental aspect of source or creator undefinable mm -hmm. unnameable back, back to the name thing i mean we can use names as a description but we'll we'll know going forward that we're not a noun that we aren't identified we don't have sameness with the word uh that is put on paper and used to own us exactly yeah. and do you think there's a sort of an underlying maybe you could say archetypal aspect to language in the or etymology in the sense that certain words and sounds do have a particular uh consistent effect on the consciousness regardless of the intent of the word i'm thinking of like you know casual use of curse words is there a vibration or a consequence to certain words that we may not even realize yeah yeah for sure every every word is conditioning your dna because your whole body is listening when you speak you are creating the material world that's called the word made flesh the word made flesh does not mean one man decided to incarnate through a virgin and that's the word made flesh that's what the simpletons get taught at church the word made flesh means that sound cymatics sonoluminescence produces all material forms so when you when you speak, um, which is what we are doing now, we are making a blessing for people. People are learning. Your body is healing. 
your mind is becoming more sane. You're, you're remembering. So you're, you can, you're making a, a construct. You, you, you're building on something. Your emotional nature is expanding. Your spirituality, mysticism is getting deeper. So that's why these conversations are the most important ones. People prefer to go to the pub, you know, and have a chat about politics and, and frivolous thing, you know, because they're not expanding. They're not transforming. Every, conversa every conversation I have, if, if, it's, if it's not deep and meaningful, I'm out of there. I, I don't talk to people who like to chit and chat, you know, <laughs> and, and sip on a cup of tea and talk about fluffy little things. You know, I want to go deep, and if not, I'll stay with my own company. I definitely feel you there. Uh, I will talk about fluffy things in terms of animals, and that can be, I guess, in a sense, shallow because my love for animals is deep. But I totally am with you there. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to as we've deepened in ourselves and craved that type of authentic connection, AU, the gold then we've had a much more difficult time engaging in water cooler chat about the latest episode on the idiot box of whatever. And it's remarkable that the, like you said, Armageddon is around us. The system is shaking apart under the, you know, die, the lives are dying under the weight of their own details. But the, a lot of the, a lot of people I know are still more interested in catching the next plot point on whatever the thing is that they're, binging you know so uh, i i do see like a weird divergence here because those who are who have the care to proceed in their and um you know unfold themselves and not be subject to the tyranny as it's playing its final you know death throws last poker hand but do you see that too do you see, is there anything in um in astrotheology that would suggest a type of splitting of humanity in a sense to be required because i see it like almost like the poles that the divine spark jumps between like this big polarization in our time as the uh sort of two poles that then birth the next iteration the next age um yeah well i guess so that's the law of karma of this universe and it's going to produce the effect of bringing us back to unity consciousness. So it's temporary. It's not going to be eternal. Um, but that's how we've been uh, evolved through these cycles of necessity and unfortunately divide, divided and conquered so that we can eventually through goodwill and intent return to unity consciousness and the true religion of love yeah definitely and almost it's funny what popped into my head to say to that was amen and even that has a deep uh, a deeper meaning than the average churchgoer amen ra i mean it's just right there it's all over the christianity and if there are a few reasons that you could give to help someone see why Jesus Christ is actually the sun or Jesus is the sun in one, in one area of the zodiac and Christ is another, uh, what are some of the most obvious 
astrological allegories that can be pulled right out of the uh, scriptures about his path, you know, the, the path of the sun. Well, it talks about Jesus walk, walking on the circuit of Galilee. <clears throat> That's a very unusual term with his 12 disciples. But when you go to your Strong's Concordance, it tells you that the circuit of Galilee is nothing other than the Greek zodiac and the astrological ecliptic. So they, they're telling you, you, you just have to do a little bit of reading. Um, uh, how, how many things? I mean, uh, Thomas Didymus, um, that's a big um, indication that it's astrology. That's the twins, uh, Gemini. And both of those words have Tom or Dom or Dim in them. Thomas Didym, Dimus. Um, you know, 12 disciples. Why 12? I mean, really think about it. King Arthur has 12 disciples. Jason has 12 voyages. Um, 12 labors of Heracles. The 12 labors of Hercules. It, it's the same. Same, same story. And yet Christians or so-called Christians who go to church are so dumbed down. They're still in Santa Claus mode. And they be really believe that their Jesus is, is different to everybody else's story, and yet it's the same story. Um, so what they do is they teach... Um, airy fairy eye in the sky pie in the sky uh, teachings such as the de the d diabolical mimicry theory the devil went around and started making the same religion everywhere all over the world based on genesis and the seed and the coming seed and the savior and and all of this thing and he just got busy deceiving the whole world with false religion rather rather than understanding that once the world had only one religion which was astrology astrotheology and we got dumbed down by the devil to think that they are all separate that would be way, way easier to do than go, go around and deliberately go to India and make the same Jesus story. Oh, I'll rush over to Mexico now and teach the Mayans and the Aztecs. Same story. Uh, let's go over here and let's go to the islands. Let's go everywhere, everywhere, all over the universe. We, we'll, we'll make the same. We'll, we'll teach everybody the same story. He, he gets crucified on the... Um, you know, born on the 25th of December, heals the dead people, has 12 disciples, resurrects on the third day, has dealings with drunkards and tax collectors, heals people, blah, 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 blah. Why would you do it that way when you can simply um, divide people uh, through language and by... Um, uh, what, um, allowing people to uh, think that um, their religion is different 
to others because other people express it with different words. Um, that's exactly how it did happen. The, the fall of man caused us to forget the unity of belief and, and knowledge that we did once have. And so that's why um, they're all the same story. Every single one of them. There's there's not one. I've never I've never read any cosmology or mythology that doesn't say the same thing as everybody else. And I've done all comparative studies, all of them. The Aboriginals in Australia, all the tribes in Africa, the Egyptians, the Hebrews, all the Christians, here the Aztecs, here the Mayans and the Incans. I've looked at all of them. I've looked and looked and looked for any difference. There is no difference. They are all same religion. They're all talking about the electromagnetic universe. Yeah, I uh, haven't seen as many of the mythologies as you have, but I'll take your word for it because it just keeps coming up. Son, <laughs> son of God, same story. and. One of, the, one of the downsides of uh, some of the ways this information has been presented in the past, like for myself, I first came online to astrotheology from the film Zeitgeist, but the way that was spun or perhaps the way that it made me reject my religious upbringing was also a detriment because it put me on an atheistic path of this is all just a you know, priest jive, this is all lies. But eventually later in, the, in life, and greatly thanks to work like yourself, the the uh, realization click that oh, the reason why the story is everywhere is like you said, is because there's actually something to this and astrology is part of it and being able to be in, in time and in tune with the seasons and the actual realm that we're uh, living on. That's great. But then the other most important aspect, probably the most important aspect is the allegory of the body that we have Aries at the head and the optic thalamus all the way down to Pisces on the feet. And I feel that connection strongly myself, how they wrap around and touch each other, because I'm born on the cusp of those two things. So uh, what, what I'm really interested to have you tell us about a little bit is just the concept of the Christ as a, an oil and the, uh, the true ascension on the in terms of our physio physiological ascension, not some sort of supernatural, uh, you know, rapturing us up into the sky. Yeah, so the story of Christ is, it's a biological story as well in the microcosm. In the macrocosm, it's, it's on another level. But in your body, the story of the Christ is the chrism, which is produced in the claustrum, the Santa claustrum. Uh, that's where we get the Santa Claus story from. So that oil goes down the spine or down the chimney and down to the sacrum where it is transmuted and returned back up to the spine through certain meditative processes and certain behavioral um, practices in one's spiritual uh, course. And when one does that, the consciousness is raised. That's how. You become a Christ. The story in the Bible is a story about you. That's, that Jesus is the Jesus that you have to find and retrieve 
in you. You have to make that individual. You, you have to become a Christ. Christened means enlightened and not to be ignorant. So it's the opposite of being ignorant. It's, it's awakeness. And that happens through certain practices and through respecting the chrism oil. Uh, the best way to disrespect this is by, um, by ejaculation. So during sex, young men were taught in the seminaries, interesting word, seminaries, uh, what to do with their chrism so that they could raise their charisma. So when you ejaculate, you're actually losing chrism, which is charisma, and that's why uh, ejaculators look like degenerates. Um, they're incontinent, incompetent little boys. They're in their 60s and 70s and they're still ejaculating, and they're poor women. Um, they'd be lucky if they get, oh, I don't know, probably five minutes of good sex over four or five decades in any marriage. I would guarantee you that uh, most women would probably get about maybe 10 or 15 minutes in five decades of marriage of good sex because of ejaculation. All the rest is just <laughs> that you might as well, you might as well just be dead. You know, the, the kind of sex they're having. It's, it doesn't satisfy most women, although they lust for it. And they also get in a, a vicious addictive cycle of wanting more of it because they're children. They're playing in the sandpit. They don't know that there's, there's other arenas to play in. So they keep having animal sex, ejaculating, ejaculating, and they're addicted to it and they never experience real sex. Um, which is white tantra because of their incontinence and because of um, well, their non-evolution, I guess. Yeah, this is a really big deal uh, to talk about this with uh, the, the landscape of American culture in particular, the porn industry being so rampant and out of control. I mean, that freedom should exist, but there's a real a real trap there i mean there's it's like energetic harvesting that's being done to these uh these guys on a metaphysical spiritual level it is happening so much that we have lost a, a lot of masculinity in our culture in, in general it's just uh being wasted spilled and if it's not if this doesn't make sense to someone at a glance to think about their seed this way uh, then just research what is actually composed in semen. What is what is it made of? And then you must ask yourself: Can my body handle offloading that much of that stuff? In especially in a world where our food is so nutrient depleted from poor farming practices that it's not even easy to replenish without mega supplementation. So this is a this is some individual stuff here. I mean, take take it or leave it. Anyone listening, but if it's not something you've ever tried like then you you'll never know if you could be that much more strong and that much more charismatic and uh that much more raised in your mind out of the out of a lower animal mind so uh, you know it's not to like 
make sex out to be degenerate as, as a behavior is that realizing that we were never even taught the functionality of our bodies and even led to use them in a way that's self-destructive. And so anyway, you may have more thoughts on that. I think this is super important, but also I'd like to talk more about the female side of this. Is there an equivalent for a female in terms of raising their sexual energy? Yes, exactly the same thing, females. <clears throat> yep. They need to learn how to have internal implosion orgasms. Mostly they do. I think women uh, are naturally more inclined to, uh, but they also, they also have seminal fluids, which they release and ejaculate uh, through sex. This, this is depleting them as well. More important for a man because the man is the giver, and the the female is the receiver. So there's more onus on the male to be a leader and to be competent and continent. It's incontinence. It's like weeing and pooing your pants. Ejaculating is like standing in, in, in the line at the, at, the, at the bathroom if there's a long line and you just, you can't hold on to it. You're incontinent. You just wear your pants. That's what ejaculating is. These are guys who they cannot hold on to the urine or their feces. They just got to do it in their pants. And basically that's, that's how they are considered by the heavens as incompetent, incompetent, um, fools who are destroying themselves and sinning against the Holy Spirit. That's the sin against the Holy Spirit, ejaculation. That's very interesting. And, you know, that doesn't apply, of course, if there's the intent to create a child, I would think, because there's something higher involved there. Or, or is there, what do you think of that? Well, there's, 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 no, there's no need to ejaculate to make children anyway. Interesting. Yeah. So and that, I guess that makes sense because there's some, there's some that can come through without the full on ejaculation. Right. So it's almost like you're just, it's almost like metaphorically a mass murder. If you count all the sperm that were potentially a life form, it's very strange. It is. It is. Yep. It's pretty much mass murder. Because um, those nutrients, they, um, they are transmutable. The, all the minerals in the um, semen, they are transmutable. They change into another alchemical frequency, which uh, transforms the individual. So the more chrism you lose, uh, the less charisma you have. People with a lot of charisma, a lot of energy, vitality, glow in their eyes, radiating heart, enthusiasm for the truth. That's because they've got chrism, they've got charisma. Um, but you see all these degenerates who go to orgies and pimps and prostitutes, they're all like, you know, the only thing that keeps them going is the meth that they're on and, and the coke that they're taking. And, and the drugs that they're doing. Otherwise, you can see that they're soulless. Yeah, and that's yeah. A, what you mean by they're 
basically run on demon energy. It's demon energy. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's what they're doing. Um, you know, and, and some of these people are talented. Like, you know, they might be a great guitarist, you know. Oh, he's such a – but he, if he's an ejaculator, um, he's, that's not his talent. It's, it's demonic talent. Demons actually give people, grant them their talents. We often hear how, you know, every musician says, I have my muse. Well, some of those muses are demons and they're not nice people, but they do give certain people talents, musical talents, which um, is, is not naturally their own. So my musical talents are naturally my own because I don't do demonism. And um, so... But you'll find that uh, a lot of these so-called intelligent people are just nothing but possessed by higher, intel higher intelligent transcendental um, entities. They are soulless themselves. Their souls have been removed, taken over. I've seen this happen to people who leave syncretism. They go to the left-hand path. You look in their eyes, you can see no soul, and they, they, their, their deeds are shameless. They go to shameless deed. I know of a girl, for instance, who was a great syncretist and very, very pure in her ways, and um, she left syncretism and uh, ended up ended up with a, a drunk, which means a demon because drunkards are demonised. Uh, Oh, he's talented. Oh, he, he can sing and he can say the word Tartaria. So definitely you want, to, you, want, you want to pick up a guy like that at a party. You really want to get someone like that. Apart from that, he's a murderer, he's a criminal, um, a hit and run. Um, uh, he's an upside-down spinning globe tard, which I, I do not respect. And she went from syncretism and all of this and now she's and shameless how does that happen she lost her soul because when the moment you get with someone who is like that their demons possess you and you run their programs and it's bye-bye whoever whatever your name is you know whether it's violet or june bye-bye violet your soul's gone <laughs> it's you're possessed and um it's as simple as like a way of thinking of it that's a little less i don't know mystical sounding is just that when someone is evacuating their own will or personal autonomy you know uh taking no longer engaged sensually with reality as in unable to even see the obvious like the things you described about a, a demon infested individual that is what it means to be soulless your your uh personal self is like left this you know fled the scene your higher or your daimonic self or whatever the the spirit that plays the game is no longer interested in this game because it's not the it's not the actual game it's uh you're you're in some other artificial thing some demon matrix if that makes sense but another question i had about this topic is something that happens to obviously young boys that are hitting puberty kind of out of their control but the uh 
and I don't, this isn't something that I can attest to as being my personal experience that it happens automatically, but I've heard of, you know, like when someone doesn't have an ejaculation for a long time, that they will have nocturnal emissions, if you will. And uh, is that something that is out of people's hands or is that a sort of a, a myth or a misconception you can, and you can control that, or does it require a type of awareness or, or discipline in, in the dream state? course even that is incontinence um eventually one masters that as well um initially of course it's it may be a problem uh but eventually it's it never happens once you master the one you master the other so it's all about um self-mastery that's what freedom is <laughs> in my yeah. opinion that's all freedom requires and yeah that's a, that's interesting because my personal experience reflects that too that it was never an issue for me um in my sleep if you will and i didn't even have to make an effort to like i don't know not dream about the wrong thing it just wasn't happening so yeah maybe it just like your self that you are will carry off into the dream even if you're not staying conscious and or not bringing back memories of your dream i mean you're always conscious but you don't always have the ability to translate that into a, a waking world memory i guess yeah yeah oh that's yeah, very interesting oh go ahead yeah eventually you will have power over that um the nighttime <clears throat> world as well when you're sleeping or supposedly unconscious yeah i've had that i've had times of that and then times of not if that makes sense uh where i've stayed aware the whole night i've even experienced just basically floating above my body during my sleep and having a 360 degree view of the room with completely restful thoughtless awareness for the whole length of time i was uh asleep and when that would happen when that has happened to me i would be like did I even sleep last night? But I felt rested and awake, but I also had like this strange memory of the entire night, but also nothing was happening with thoughts. It was just sort of stillness. Is that kind of what you mean? And then of course, yep. astral experiences too. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Very cool. Uh, I've got a, so many questions. Uh, <laughs> this might, this is kind of an oddball question, but what do you think? One of the things that I really loved about your um, presentations back in the day was, of course, showing the the bodily connections to different zodiacal signs. And um, my personal astrology would be Aries, Sun, and Leo on the Ascendant. So that connection between the lion and the lamb, if you will, the the uh, heart and mind, I always found very interesting. But uh, what do you think about the so-called Mandela effect that claims that the verse actually was changed from a lion and a lamb in the Bible to be a lion and a wolf? Do you know about that particular issue? Both. It's both. Yeah, they are both two very, very widespread universal motifs. The lion and the lamb and the lion and the wolf. It's simple. Here is the land, the right hemisphere of your cerebrum, and here is the wolf, 
where there is the lamb, there is always the wolf. The wolf. You know, remember the cartoon? It's the wolf. It's the wolf. Well, it has the word wool in it as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Interesting about that. But when these two connect, that's the uh, lamb and the wolf. But the other version is Aries is the cerebrum and Leo is the lion. And when those two are harmonized, then there will be peace. So yeah, both animals, both archetypes have always, always, always been around. And so um, some scriptures have lion and some have wolf in there, but um, they're both dealing with the same astrological theme, harmonizing the two hemispheres and harmonizing the mind with the heart. Simple. I, I agree uh, with that assessment as well. I think that a lot of these concepts like a, a Mandela effect and, and they're changing history with CERN is uh, quite silly to me, but because a, a lot of the same people that will make those claims, they don't even have a clue who CERN is. <laughs> Cernanos, maybe? The so-called Large Hadron Collider. That's CERN, the Coronado. Um, that's the the horns of the devil. That's what CERN means. But um, did you say you were an Aries with a Leo rising? Yes. That's the same as me. Aries with Leo rising. Right on. My moon's in Libra, so right across the ecliptic there. Right. Well, mine's in Pisces. Well, that's cool. No wonder you always made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Interesting. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah. that actually brings up a question I had about your thoughts on the, uh, the pros and cons between tropical and sidereal astrology. Is that something you could go into for us? Yeah, not a problem. Um, when you understand Taurus fields and that we are living in a massive Taurus field universe, you'll understand that there is such a thing as electromagnetic retardation or electromagnetic precession. And um, so the, the um, tropical system is based on the fixed uh, energy of the torus field, whereas the sidereal is based on the... Um, the procession, which is another part of the Taurus field. So it's all about um, uh, having uh, two systems. Every, every atom does this. Every atom has procession in it. That's how it, it works. It, it, it cannot attract itself to another atom unless there is such a thing as procession. So they both have some, they're both describing part of the, of the realm that we're in, both, yep. both systems. So when it comes to a personal chart, is there benefit to looking at your chart in both systems or is, uh, 
like a natal chart better in one or the other, or maybe like uh, astrology for the year you're in on a, like what's going to happen in the world. Is that more accurate in one system or another? Uh, definitely more accurate in tropical. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not at all uh, saying that it's sidereal is not accurate. It, it does have accuracy, but um, trop <clears throat> tropical system is more penetrating than sidereal. Uh, I look Aries. I don't look Pisces. So if some Hindu astrologer comes and says, oh, March 24th, you're a Piscean, well, sorry, I'm Aries because I look Aries. There's Aries. Yeah, man, I'm 322. I've got the big forehead. The Aryan look is from the 21st of March to the 20th of April. It will never shift, never has, always been like that, always will be. Never, ever, ever, ever will that change. The tropical system will always exist. It will always be the same forever. And why is it, why is it that I can pick your zodiacal sign by looking at you only in tropical. I've had I've had um, um, Hindu astrologers as well, sidereal astrologers, uh, um, getting me to pick their signs, and um, and I always guess it in tropical. They say, "Oh no, no, but 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 I'm but I'm Libra," and I'm saying, "No, no, no. See those features? That's Scorpio." So. If you go to tropical first, you'll have a, a much more correct system. Sidereal is useful for many things. Sidereal is very, very useful because it's a secondary force. It's um, it's like a schizophrenic, schizophrenic bipolar system that man has two, two natures, I guess, until the electromagnetic retardation is realigned so that they're both equal, if that's possible, then there will be two systems. Can you talk more about that? Actually, um, what you mean by electromagnetic retardation, is that what the uh, globe people would call the axial tilt? I'm not because I'm not really sure how that may or may not, that idea may or may not apply on a a properly modeled version of our realm, a non-globe, <laughs> not what NASA tells us. Uh, so how does procession work with a globe? Well, how does, not how does procession work with the globe, but what do you mean by that electromagnetic retardation? Is that having something to do, because to retard is to thwart or slow down progress, forward progress, right? So. That, that's the definition. So what does it mean when you use that phrase about our, our system, uh, something that has happened to it, that is uh, throwing it out of whack? Is that related to what the globe people call the tilt of the axis? Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Every Taurus field is a reciprocating processing hyperboloid Taurus. 
So every single torus field, which is what an atom is, is reciprocating, it's processing, it has a hyperbola in the center, and it has a torus field on the outside. So we know it's reciprocating. When from the center of the torus field, the plane of inertia, there is radiation, divergent centrifugal light, redshift, goes round and it flips over to blue shift, convergent centripetal gravitation. Radiation, gravitation. That's what we call reciprocation. Those magnetic lines, they are reciprocating. What is going out this way is also going out that way at the same time. And what is going in at the top is also going in at the bottom, into the plane of inertia. That's called reciprocation. Precession means that as it's doing that, it's actually rotating around this way, it's actually the whole, it's reciprocating very, very fast, but it's also precessing, it retards, it has retardation. And so it's that retardation of the outer field, which is what we're seeing when the stars precess. That's the they are precessing against the sun and the ecliptic. The sun and the, the, the wandering stars, the so-called planets, they are on the ecliptic. They are fixed on a tropical point, the equinoxes and the solstices. But the stars behind them, which are further beyond the ecliptic, that is retarding that is going slower. So the sun takes 365 days to make a year, whereas the dome every year turns 360 times. So the sun has been slowed down. And this happened about 3,000 years ago. All cultures talk about this. 2,750 years ago, all cultures added five days to their calendars. So some archonic uh, Anunnaki-type controllers of this universe decided to slow the sun down and make more electromagnetic retardation than what is necessary. Hence, the stars possibly then began to precess. And over in India, they took notice of this because they're very intelligent and they have the sidereal system. So they're, they're watching and th that shifting processional electromagnetic retardation as a backdrop to the ecliptic. And they are making that their primary system. Well, that's the only mistake they're making. 
They're not making any other mistake, just one simple mistake. The tropical system is first in its influence, simple, because... Uh, it's what's really happening on, in nature. Like, it's really spring right now. It's exactly what's happening in nature, yes, because uh, the seasons never change. Uh, March 21st is always the equinox. June 21st is always the solstice. So it is first and most penetrating. Sidereal is also an influence, but it's a secondary influence. And that's very interesting, the idea that this actually happened because the way procession has often been presented is that it's always been this way or for a long, such a long time, we'd have no way to know. And that it, that's maybe a justification for sidereal as a primary system. But what you're saying is that you've, you have uh, uncovered in mythology, perhaps, that this is actually a recorded event. Do you know anything else about that event in terms of what it was like on Earth when that happened? Was there some Cataclysm, is that part of uh, a reset event that we've seen in the evidence of all the architecture and the poorly named New World? Because that's a big interest of mine is uh, what people call Tartaria or looking at this previous civilization that appears to me to not have been that long ago at all. Uh, does this tie together at all with, with that research for you? Yeah, well, I first learned this in 1982 when I was studying Emmanuel Velikovsky and Worlds in Collision and Ages in Chaos, um, where he spoke about uh, Venus about around about that time when the five days were added, that Venus entered into the solar system and created havoc and created a lot of the cosmologies and um, scary stories about the gods warring in heaven, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I first learned about that through Emmanuel Velikovsky. But I've seen uh, this spoken of in many, many, many um, primary sources, how those holy days were added because of the sun slowing down. Now, what did it slow down compared to? How, how, did, how, did, how did all of a sudden the year grow five days? You see, so there must be some other mechanism by which um, the sun can be measured against to detect it's, it's having slowed down. Well, it's interesting that it's five days if Venus is the new thing in the equation because Venus and five and phi and the design that Venus puts in the sky, there's a, that's very interesting. Let's wrap up with you telling people how they can uh, find you and possibly work with you or what, what your current focuses are in the, in the world and with your your great contributions well, to Well, I'm us. in Puerto Morelos, just south of Cancun in Quintana Roo, Mexico. Uh, and I'm about to launch a syncretism or neoplatonic academy where spiritual sciences, true spiritual sciences will be taught and healing. We will have Tesla, Dersenval, coil uh, treatments for people. 
people will be treated with um, Gala Wave Energy. Um, so look out for that. I now have Schussler Tissue Salts, the best uh, of their kind in the world on my site, available for all people who um, follow uh, the astrological tissue salts. I've also got... That's what people call cell salts. Cool. I use those and I have a guest coming in not too long to help people uh, understand that more clearly and talk about that on a whole episode. So that's good. Yeah, I also have syncretism t-shirts now. You can can buy cups. You can buy wall posters of my graphics. So I've got uh, clothing as well that you can buy um, with syncretism graphics on them. Uh, and cups and, and posters, etc. Um, I will have uh, a lot more products as well available, um, as well as the online courses, which are going to be available through syncretismsociety.com. So look out for syncretismsociety.com and stay close to my channel, Mr. Astrotheology, my YouTube channel, where I will have a promotion bid up in about a week talking about all of our projects coming up. Very cool. Very cool. That should be not too long from when this comes out. So people will be able to find that link in the show notes. I'll go ahead and put it in there. And uh, when I see that YouTube video come out, I'll add it to this show notes if I've already posted it. And I appreciate your time. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. Someone I've learned so much from over the years and Other people I've learned from have been influenced by you to even get on their way. So great ripples that you've uh, put into this pond here on this this island earth. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Bert. Good to meet you. You have a great rest of your day, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. What a good one that was. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. It feels like a big milestone for me as a podcaster to get to speak to somebody who's been a part of my research life for so long. So my gratitude to Santos for the time here and whether or not you're new to his work or just getting introduced to him, I think you can see the value and how he ties into so many of the things that we've spoken about on the show in the past, especially with words and like word magic and the linguistic complexities, but are actually more like simplicities once you start realizing that everything is talking about one thing. So uh, really phenomenal. Maybe not the best introduction to astrotheology, but what's great is there's an entire astrotheology lesson about to go down on Interverse with our good friend Dylan Tococcio. He's going to kill me if I said that wrong again. I'm pretty sure I said it right. (laughs) He makes fun of me all the time. I'm bad at pronouncing Italian names. I didn't even say Santos Bonacci, uh, assuming that that's how you say it in my intro. But anyway, that's a silly tangent. All around great conversation. Um, if you're new to Interverse as a, a channel, maybe you're catching this as a, a mirrored upload on Santos's YouTube. You can, of course, find me on InterversePodcast.com. I've got a YouTube channel, of course, and there's a bunch of different ways you can watch my show. You will find things you're interested in here if you're interested in syncretism and the things that go on on Mr. Astro Theology. So tune in, um, drop us a sub, 
I say us, it's really just me doing this show, but you'll, like I said, you'll find lots of good things to enjoy and many related tangential topics and uh, going to keep doing it. So tune in for more content. You can get the extended version of this conversation at rockfin.com slash interverse. That's R-O-K-F-I-N. There's also Patreon for the second part. I won't say the second half because he did have to jet a little earlier than uh, some guests do. So we got about 35 minutes of maybe 30 minutes of extra time. Depends on how I cut it in editing to split it up. But <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody's complaints that I'm stealing his time and charging money for his time. And how dare you? Because I got a lot of that from the uh, Michael Tesserion episode. And so if you're thinking that and you're like annoyed that I'm asking for you to go behind my paywall to get a little bit more of a conversation with information in it that you can probably hear him saying in other places for free anyway, I don't know what to tell you. I've got to do something here to have reciprocity. And when podcasters or content creators get together to do something like this, it's agreed upon that this is the format. We all agree. Okay, let's do it. So none of that complaining, you, you complainers, a small minority of the people out there that watch the show would ever say something like that. But I don't know, felt like mentioning it. It is worth it to uh, support me on Patreon and Rockfin. There is a lot of good stuff there. Some stuff you won't find anywhere else on the internet in terms of content, but really it's about supporting what you love in the world so that you'll see more of it and it can grow. And it's about as simple as that. So if you want to do that for me, Rockfin is the best way to do it. Patreon is also basically just as good of a way to do it, but Patreon's more evil of a company. <laughs> Uh, Santos has a, a Patreon too. Don't know how active that is, but I've been sub to it for a long time just to support him. So yeah, uh, what was in the plus extension? I don't think I'm going to tell you this time. I think you just just have to tune in to find out. But there were 30 more minutes of interesting conversations there for sure. And I don't know what to address in the outro about the content of the first hour. Um, I hope I don't have to make the disclaimer to like don't believe everything that's said or that I don't agree with everything that's said. That should be true for any conversation you have with any human being. It's called discernment. And we all have a different view of these things, particularly the, uh, the ejaculation question, which came up a lot. I personally think that there's something to that th way of thinking that Santos is ascribed to subscribe to. Otherwise I wouldn't have had it be uh, such a big part of the show and ask questions about it. That being said, is it always bad to ejaculate? I don't know if I'm sold on that either. I do know for sure that if you overdo that, uh, if you are consumed by lustful versions of your sexual energy, it's going to be a huge drain on your battery. Whether you want to call it demons or not, or, or in terms of demons, if you want to conceptualize those as archetypes instead of other entities, you can do a lot of the same work for yourself without needing to supernaturalize it. So you do you. I can have a conversation about demons or about archetypes. And I know that I'm talking about the same thing, which is ways of being in the world or of uh, not being, so to speak, in, when it comes to possess, possession type behavior, self-evacuated behavior. So there's more than one way to look at this. That's the beauty of everyone's path is uh, kind of like that conversation with Santos about apparent perspective of things versus the reality of things. You're, you're, you're always going to have your own way of conceptualizing because all this type of esoterica is conceptual. So I appreciate it. And even the elements of this conversation from uh, whatever spiritual tradition they might be from, be it Gnostic or Christian or what have you, 
I think that these perspectives, as they were described here, were the positive light of them. We, there was no like the body is a cage or, or nature is evil, or your body is lower. It's just a way, it's a symbol system, a, a mental framework of how you might conceptualize life and the energies of your, your world and reality. And so take it for that. And um, yeah, don't believe anything we say. Experience it for yourself. Find out what happens if you protect your sexual energy in a different way. Maybe orgasm is something that as a, a spasming is not necessarily, maybe it feels good because you're going down a slide energetically, you know, who knows? Or maybe there's a difference between orgasm with a partner and by yourself. Um, you know, that these are all questions to ask yourself. Free thinking is all I'm really looking for anyone to do. So when a teacher is a little more, I don't know, militant's not the right word, but uh, very sure about what they're saying and to the point of you're dumb if you don't agree the same thing. Uh, some people that actually helps them to hear it in a more vitriolic way and other people it doesn't help them. And I think we need all types of perspectives. I like the way that Santos delivers his stuff. Maybe it's because we're both Aries with the Leo rising. That was kind of a funny detail to come up. Maybe the greatest part of the conversation was sidereal and tropical astrology, looking at those two systems and how they're different and why they're different and what it could mean. Really like that. He brought up Emmanuel Velikovsky, somebody that other researchers I respect has, have brought up and I haven't delved into that work. So maybe someday it's on the mega list of things to check out. Uh, but right on, what am I going to do? Um, I'm going to try to find some music of his to play us out with a song on YouTube or something. I like to play the music from the guest that was on if that exists and he's a great guitar player. So should be able to find something like that. And um, yeah, I won't keep you too long in this outro. I would love to chat more, but I actually have a lot on my plate to prepare for uh, the next big show, which will be also on astrotheology, but in a more teaching presentation way. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if it's not already out by the time you're hearing this, because it's going to be like back to back. We're, we're doing it back to back. Uh, recorded today, trying to put this out by the morning, which will be May 1st, the, the uh, infamous May 1st <laughs> holiday of sorts. But it's been fun. I love that I get to have these conversations. It's always a great joy to meet people that have inspired me throughout my life and taught me so much. And Santos is one of those people. And you heard the man. It's all about electricity and magnetism. These are the, the forces at work in our realm. And understanding the, the basics is what gives you understanding of the big picture. So here we go. Uh, Finishing up, going to play you out with the song if I find it, and we'll wrap up. Appreciate everyone for tuning in, like I said. Once again, interversepodcast.com if you're new to the channel. Oh, this is it. Here's what I was forgetting to tell you. Since we last spoke, at least like this, maybe I've talked to you in a different way since then. But since the last episode, I created a Telegram group for the listeners of the show and, uh, and guests of the show to come into. And wow, what a wild mix that is. The the energy is insane, but not insane like in a bad way, more in like a slang way, <laughs> in a good way. The amount of expertise on so many different subjects is astounding. So thank you to everyone who's participating in the Telegram. I'll put a link to that with the um, show notes from now on. There's been a Discord channel for a while, but it's just, we seem to have moved over to Telegram. I'll, I'll notice if you chat on the Discord and I'll 
definitely be in there too, but Telegram's simpler, more elegant. People seem to love it. We're having a lot of fun. And I think it's almost like the replacement of the AI search engine because it works in a similar way. I can get on Telegram and ask the same question to my group and a couple other groups. And it's a human search engine. It's amazing. And uh, never, you don't get any ads that way. You just get what people have actually tried out for themselves or what they really think. So hallelujah. <laughs> Telegram is really cool. Hope you guys come jump in. Amazing how fast the group has grown. You'll have a lot of fun and a lot of weird synchronicities, like people from the same area, like clustered together um, by coincidence. Who knows? I, I want to see a meetup from people in the Telegram meeting with each other and doing a high five in real life with no mask on. That'd be pretty cool. But okay, okay. Like I said, I'm out of here. I was trying to keep this brief, but Telegram's important. It's been super fun. And we will talk soon. A lot of crazy good stuff on the agenda. The calendar is full of incredible people to talk to. Thanks for all the support. And I'll catch you guys later. Much love.